The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the executive minister, senior assistant minister, and the director of the Johnny Coleman Institute at Christ Universal Temple, where the Reverend Dr. Derry B. Wells is the senior minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. Today, I have a, the guest of guests, and we're going to talk about success, how to produce wealth, and most importantly, how to live a healthy, happy, and prosperous life. So today, my guest is Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, the author of Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice, The Wealth Choice, What Makes the Great Great, and a person who has taught millions of people around the world how to live a better life. And I'm just honored to have you on my show again. How are you doing, Dr. Kimbrough? Reverend G. Mack, I am doing fine, man. Thanks for having me. You could have selected anybody, so I'm honored to be on the show. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, you know, I want to get right into it so I can ask my questions before we open the floor up for questions. And <laughs> and as I was contemplating uh, this interview this morning uh, after my meditation time, uh, something came to me that was really interesting. And I would love for you to talk about it before we actually get into some of the principles that you teach in your books and in, mm-hmm. you know, and in your classes, workshops and seminars. And what I thought about was I can remember meeting you as a, you know, a a young man in my 20s or, you know, I think when I met you, I was literally 21, 20 or 21. Oh, wow. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, it was at a men. I was 21 when I met you at a men expressing Christ conference. And (laughs) uh, you came and you you spoke for the conference and then you spoke that Father's Day. That's what that was the first time I ever met you. And wow, you were, yeah, that was 1994. Father's Day, difference between a man and a boy. The difference between a man and a boy. And I still have that video on VHS. I had it transferred to DVD, but I still actually have it in a crawl space because to to me, that was the lesson as a young man. Hearing that lesson, the difference between a man and a boy (laughs) was a game changer for me. <laughs> you know, wow! So, <laughs> wow! We had so some fun, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, back back then it seemed like you were you were here all the time. Yeah, <laughs> Every time <we're> <laughs> man. Yeah, Johnny and Helen, man, they scooped me up, man. Yep, yes, indeedy. 
Yes, indeed. So we had some fun. I got to come back, man. Oh, well, Whoa. you know, without a doubt, without a doubt. I had, you know, I know things have slowed up because of the pandemic, but we definitely have to make mm-hmm. that happen. So and mm-hmm. that's a conversation that's, that I'm more than willing to, to have. So, but this uh, is the, this is the this is the third pandemic that I've been through. Wow! This is this is the third. The first when I got my polio shot. I mean, I was about four years old when um, you know my mother, you know, marched me and my brother down to the board of health, and I can remember. Okay, here I am, seventy-one, but I can remember the long white coats and hearing kids screaming because that vaccine was really a vaccine. You look at my left arm, and I got the living proof. I got my tattoo, so that was my first pandemic. The second pandemic was tuberculosis, and this wow. time the New Jersey Board of Health gave parents a choice: either you can bring your child in to be vaccinated, or your child can be vaccinated at school. Uh, with the school nurses. And so my parents opted out. No, he doesn't need this. He'll get his in school. And I remember the teacher following names, you know, accompany the nurse. And back then the school nurse really looked like a nurse with the heavy starch hat, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> excuse me, the heavy starch hat and uh, the white stockings and this, that, and everything. And um, I, I got it there. And then number three, here we are now. But <clears throat> this isn't. This is just the most recent pandemic. I mean, you go back to the 1970s, and though we didn't know it in the United States, the rest of the world knew it. Specifically, Africa. When you got, you know, uh, Dr. William Fagey, who made a decision, a conscious decision, that he was going to bring a halt to smallpox in Africa, uh-huh. and for that. He got the the highest honor that you can get in public health and the White House. Obama gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom for what he did. Ended and and some of the tactics that urban health uses today, he was the one that discovered it. And he really put a dent in smallpox. But smallpox is still running rampant. I don't want to say running rampant. I don't want to do a value judgment, Reverend G-Mac. But... For those who say they don't want to get vaccinated, and I'm not saying, listen, you do whatever you want to do. All healing is spiritual. You hear me, listeners, on the phone, wherever you are? All healing is spiritual. You can go to a 4th of July party and you have a little three-, four-year-old child that falls in the pool. You can pray for his or her deliverance. You can pray for his or her rescue. That's spiritual. Or... You can jump in the water and pull him up to safety. That's spiritual also. So it's not either all. All healing is spiritual. I mean, it's the Last Supper. What did Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. Well, do what, Jesus? Love. Love in remembrance of me. So all healing is spiritual. But now we live in a society that's one or the other. No, I'm sorry. I'm not... You don't know, you don't even have the thinking to interpret what they mean. If you're called on to be one of the 40 authors in the Bible, of one of the 66 books, do you know where your thinking must be? Do you? And here he is, he's on a boat in the middle of the ocean, and a storm hits. And these guys that he had mentored and coached and poured into and taught Woke him up in the middle of the night while he was sleeping. 
And what did he say? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, peace, be still. It doesn't mean, okay, peace, calm the waves, peace, be still, wind. It doesn't mean that. He was speaking to his disciples. How many more miracles must you see before you believe? You were with me when I raised Lazarus. You were standing right next to me when I turned that water into wine. You, you, you were right there in the audience when that centurion came to me. I believe you, and I'm a Roman centurion, but if you say the word, you'll heal my slave. How many more miracles must I perform? And so Jesus, they saw a side of Jesus that they never saw before. Jesus was saying, this is no time for peace. I'm not being nice. I'm sorry. Enough is enough. Peace, get out of here, peace. I don't need you today, peace. Now sit down and be still. You're going to hear this. Yes, Powerful. yes. Absolutely, That's absolutely. Powerful. So, and so yes. you're going to be one of the ones that translated. Well, if you're thinking at that level, you know, you know that all healing is spiritual. You, you don't need the elixir. You don't need the anecdote. Because you have solved the problem mentally. Now, Reverend G. Mac, you, you know this better than I. That's where we are going. That's where we should be in our development. There's no disease. There's no dis-ease, lack of ease. There's no such thing as a heart attack. That's a troubled heart. That's where our thinking should be. And the only way that will occur is if you work out your salvation every day. You had a head start this morning. You said... You're going to start the day with your prayer and devotion. Well, we need to do that constantly and over and over and over because we've got to raise our level of vision. Yeah, There's absolutely, so many absolutely. gaps that we so, have got to close. Adam, where have you been? I've been hiding. Why are you hiding, Adam? I was afraid. Adam, who taught you fear? And that was the beginning of the end. That was yeah. the beginning of the end of all thought. And that was the start of the world. Yes. So, yes. When, you know, when you read Revelation, it says the end of the world. I'll be with you to the end of the world. I mean, that's what we should be in our thinking. We should, have, we should fall on our knees right now and hope and pray for the end of the world. I can't wait, Reverend G. Mack, for the end of the world to get here. Now, that doesn't mean the United States and China, the United States and Russia are going to enter in a nuclear holocaust and everybody be bomb to oblivion, whatever. It doesn't mean that. Well, what is the world today? The world is toxic. The world is so full of so many nonsense and backbiting people all up in your face and mass shootings and everything. I can't wait for the end of that nonsense. Well, what's well, going know, to overtake uh, Everybody really lining interject, up. You know, one of the yeah. things that I was um, talking with, um, <laughs> I know someone, you also know uh, Dr., um, the Reverend Dr. Um, Michael Beckwith. And oh yeah, 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 and he he had mentioned that um, he said, the, you know, the, he said there's a difference between the Earth and the world. The Earth is a planet. Yeah, the world is a behavior of the human consciousness. He said, he said, so he said, I'm not praying for the the world to be saved. The the world that has a mentality that functions a certain kind of way. He said, he yep. said. That world yep. needs to end so the new world can come forth. But exactly. the new world is not talking about a new planet. It's talking about a new psychology. Yeah. It's talking yeah. about a new spirituality. It's talking yeah. about a new collective consciousness and humanity. Yeah. And yeah. as we shape and form uh, the, the world by our thinking, we can understand that when Jesus says, I've overcome the world, I've overcome exactly. The, exactly. the limited collective 
human consciousness that is that is producing these results that we see and we don't like. And I think that it's really important for metaphysical thinkers. And I know, you know, you know, I throw the word metaphysical around a lot because that's what I do Mm -hmm. for us to understand what we're working on and why we're working on it. Um, Yeah. One of the things I want to interject uh, because I, I didn't want to finish this, uh, the statement of what came to me this morning, uh, Dr. Kimbrough, uh, because I do want to make sure I get this out so people can have an opportunity to call in and ask you questions. Uh, mm-hmm. What came to me earlier this morning was uh, many people who teach success, um, uh, they don't, all, not everybody has a head start. And I remember you talking about how you didn't have a head start, especially when you were writing your first book. And the challenges mm-hmm. and the thought came to me, not only did you not have a silver spoon in your mouth talking about wealth, you had to earn it, but you also yep. probably didn't have the spoon, let alone the, the silver spoon oh, in your mouth. Out. And literally, yeah. I laughed yeah. because I said, yeah. he had to prove what he taught. Could you talk a little yeah, bit about to become that having individual. to prove exactly. what you taught? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, you know. You know, so what was it like being the person who wrote Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice, and then had to go apply it to show people that it really worked? How did that work? (laughs) Yeah, and uh, Reverend G. Mack, that book is 30 years old, man, 1991, and here we are actually going on 32. And before I answer the question, uh, I'm working on a revised edition. I got a... uh, an email and a couple of phone calls, Zoom calls um, with my editor and one of the VPs with Random House. And to, to show you that, yeah, even even low and small thinking can raise its ugly head any time because as the 30th year was approaching, me and the Napoleon Hill Foundation said, man, they need to have an anniversary issue. What's taking them so long? Blah, blah, blah. And so we didn't hear from them for almost a year. And then course is penguin random house we didn't hear from until that zoom call and they said no we we don't want an anniversary edition only if you want an anniversary edition all you need is get somebody to write a new forward and we'll go ahead and stamp on the cover of the book anniversary edition but we don't want that and uh me collectively in the napoleon hill foundation for what do you want said, no, we want a revised edition which is a rewrite of 20% of the book in five new examples and new tools. And we will introduce it at the end of this year, 2022 or the beginning of 2023 in hardback. And so um, that's what I'm working on now. And I I shared some names, uh, folks that I'm, that I'm going after and the like, but, um, yeah, you got to become that individual, and these tools work. And it's all mindset, mindset, heart set, soul set, health set. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed from Stephen Covey to Napoleon Hill to Orson Sweat Martin to Ralph Waldo Emerson. Nothing has Henry David Thoreau. Nothing has changed. Simon Sinek, Daniel Pink. Nothing has changed. So it's just the application of these tools and principles that have changed. So anybody can use them. Anybody can use them to advance their life. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So when, uh, when as, as I was going through your book, The Wealth Choice, the 
secrets of success for black millionaires. Um, mm-hmm. In the book, you have seven laws of wealth. Um, mm-hmm. How did you come up with, and, and I'm going to read the seven laws of wealth, if you don't mind, before I ask the question. Oh, yeah, no problem. The, okay, it was, um, um, the first one was decision, resolve now that you will not be put, excuse me, first law was wealth of knowledge, the most powerful economic weapon. Am I reading this right? Okay. Uh, am I reading it right? Okay. Decision no, resolve go, now that uh, you go, will go not to be the next poor. To last page, and there are the seven principles. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, the con- yeah. 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 Content. The second law: uh, yep. decision resolve yourself not, that you will not be poor. The haves yep. and the have-nots. The differences that make the differences. Believe in thyself when no one else will. To thine own yep. self be true. Find your unique gifts. How may I serve thee? The road not taken, make thy money grow. So, uh, exactly. how did you develop these seven laws of wealth? Well, they were based on the research that I had. That's a seven-year study, and um, Reverend G. Mac, I used three primary tools, research tools. Number one, I used the survey, and in that in the survey, I asked them uh, black millionaires 118 questions. Now. I didn't know at the advance of this book, I didn't even know how many black millionaires in the United States until I had a presentation with the Federal Reserve. When um, Tom Stanley wrote The Millionaire Next Door, he used three primary sources of data. He used IRS, Census Bureau, and uh, U.S. Trust Survey data. And um, when I was in my second year of research, I went down to the Census Bureau and I asked them, I said, how many black millionaires? And they were unsure. They said, but we know who has the data. And I said, who has the data? And they said, the Federal Reserve. And it just so happened, Reverend G-Mac, 60 days after that, con- after that um, conference with the Census Bureau, I had a presentation at the Federal Reserve Board here in Atlanta. And they asked me what I was working on, and I said, funny, you should ask. You talk about, no, it's not coincidental, it's manifestation. Mm-hmm. And so they told me, they said, there's two ways you can go about this. You've got about 112,000 families with a net worth of a million or more, or you have 35,000 individuals with a net worth with a million dollars in assets. And I said, I wanted the individuals. Now, people will say, Oh, man, that number is so low, blah, blah, blah. Reverend G. Mack, the day that Think and Grow Rich was published, Census Bureau published their their annual data on ethnic startups, and they broke it down by East Indian, Jewish Americans, Irish Americans, Polish Americans, African Americans, Native Americans. 1991, no group had more startups for every 1,000 uh, <clears throat> East Indians, 97 had their own business. Wow. And I'm not going to give you the data. That, this was 91. 97 out of 1,000 East Indians had their own business. Jewish Americans, 79 out of every 1,000 had their own business. And you go on and on and on when it came to African Americans. This will blow you away. Census Bureau data. And I got the citation. For every 1,000 African Americans in 1991, only 14 had their own business, and that was the problem. Yeah. And that was the problem. So say, well, do you think thinking Grow Richard Black Choice made an impact? Yes, I, I would say it made an impact. 
So yes, uh, that's so I that, that was number one. I uh, had this survey and I asked them 118 questions. Now, Reverend GMAC, some of the questions were I didn't want to know any proprietary information, but they shared proprietary information because the survey was divided into four sections. The section sec the second section was all about their finances. Would you have a problem paying an unexpected $5,000 bill? Uh, who uh, balances the checkbook in your family? How many times is the checkbook being balanced? This, that, and everything, blah, blah, blah. So I asked them 118 questions. Number two, I held uh, six focus groups around the country. Three were in Atlanta, one was in Omaha, one was in Washington, D.C., and one was just black females out in Las Vegas. And then last but not least, uh, I had 60 interviews, face-to-face -face interviews. Now, you heard me say it before. I made the, uh, you know, the conscious decision that I didn't want any athletes or any entertainers. Uh -huh. And folks asked me, I said, well, because we're overrepresented, we were preponderant in that particular area. But that did not be a fact that there were some entertainers I had to interview just because of the platform and because of the wealth. So I had to interview Steve Harvey. I had to interview Tyler Perry. I had to interview Damon John. I interviewed uh, Tyrese Gibson. Um, I cut it off. The last interview, and I was just about to interview him before my editor said, enough, no more. And that was common because he had done a few entrepreneurial endeavors and the like. So there you are. And based on, on that amalgam, those three key areas, those those three survey tools, I've wrapped my mind around, you know, how they interact with their own. I know I wasn't I wasn't, you know, enamored with how they interact with me, but in those focus groups, I got a chance to see how they interact in their peer group. Mm -hmm. And in the peer group, they're low key, no bling bling, no flossing. Absolutely, positively, GMAC. Absolutely, positively, no look at me. No designer threads. No uh, driving in with something low and long. None of that. Every one of them off the rack, off the shelf. What you see is what you get. Driving in old beat-up pickup trucks. Old blah, 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 wearing jeans, this, that, and everything. And it is only when they have galas among their peer group will they break out the threads and the bling bling. But they don't do it. They don't flaunt it in front of any and everybody else. And that's one of the key indicators. <laughs> At least I, I abide by If they look wealthy, they're probably not. <clears throat> yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting with uh, Think and Grow Rich, and we're probably about four minutes from, a, from the break. Time is already okay. flew by, believe it or not. One yeah. of the things that... that um, <clears throat> I would love, and obviously, um, you know, I'm not in the Chicago public school system, but I'm a big believer that Think and Grow Rich, a black choice, should be taught in urban areas. Uh, oh, yeah. In school. In school. Oh, yes. You know, you know when so I was John, in, you know, John Rogers of John Rogers of Ariel was doing that. I didn't know he that. He had, I don't mean to cut you off, but he no. had a little mentorship program with one of the urban schools uh, near his office or near his home. And uh, he, I think he was like speaking on weekends or uh, once a month or twice a month. And he was using the book, but go ahead. 
No, no, I was just saying, from the standpoint of, in that book, you talk a lot, first of all, you use African-American examples, and people many times don't mm-hmm. know about African-American success unless it's a, you know, a singer, a rapper, an actor, you know, many mm-hmm. times we don't even know about the business person, uh, you yeah. know, who actually has more wealth that can write checks for yep. the athletes and the entertainers. But mm-hmm. the reason why I'm sharing that is because the principles that are shared in that book about how to use your imagination, you know, how to be creative, yep. you know, persistence, uh, having yep. faith in your dream and your goals. Those are mm-hmm. things that many times aren't taught. When I was in grammar school, I was being taught about the Alamo, which wasn't going to help yeah. me, help my community <laughs> or help my family. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I had to learn about <laughs> things that really didn't impact my life. And it's just amazing to me that mm-hmm. information like yours, that, you know, you're, you know, you're, a, you're an educator by trade, you know, yeah. are, are you still uh, at Clark Atlanta? Are you, cause yep. I, didn't, I didn't even ask you that, yep. you know, so you're an educator by trade and yet we we put books in people's hands, our children's hands, who, if they learned it at that age could transform the world, but instead they're learning about the Alamo and they're learning about throwing tea into a into a river or, or yeah. a lake. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're part of communities that just don't work. And you know, as as you know, I'm you know, things are happening in Atlanta now, like they, they happen in the streets of Chicago and some of the poorer or uh poorer oh, areas. Yeah. yeah. People need hope and they need to know mm-hmm. that it's possible and they need to know that it's the ability to overcome odds is a thing. Mm-hmm. Now, now we have a minute left, so I'm going to ask you before to pick up when we come back. But part of, uh, of why I believe your work is so important is because you focused so much on making sure that our youth get it because yeah. they'll transform it. Like I said before, being a young man, 20, almost 21, uh, with a 20, yeah, 22, I was 21 when I met you, not 22. Uh, hmm. going on 22, hearing the difference between a man and a boy, and then you connecting that to success, to prosperity, to what it means to mm-hmm. be a man who provides, what it means to be a man who handles oh, yeah. his business, was yeah. really important. And these are messages that we have to get to our youth. And it's important yeah. that they understand that they can think and grow rich. There's nothing to do with race. It has everything mm-hmm. to do with mind. <clears throat> Oh, as Johnny Coleman used to say, I am the thinker who thinks the thought that makes the thing. And so we're about 30 seconds from our break. So let me just, uh, you know, prep that when we come back, if you want to call in and ask a question, uh, ask Dr. Kimbrough a question about success, about uh, wealth building, about prosperity, please do. You can call in at 816-251-3555, 3555. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Thanks for joining us. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Yet again, before we get back to the interview, I just want to do a couple of quick commercials for Christ Universal Temple. I want to remind you that you can watch our Sunday live stream uh, every Sunday, 1030 a.m. to noon Central Time on our website, www.cutemple.org, our Facebook page, Christ Universal Temple, or our YouTube page, CU Temple. We also have Monday through Friday lessons on Facebook, on our Facebook page, where we're teaching Reverend Wells' book, Live Happy, which is a book of 365 lessons. So we read one a day throughout the year, 2022. We're working with that book. And, and Monday through Friday, we teach a lesson, that daily lesson. So make sure that you plug in for the Live Happy lessons on Facebook. Also want to remind you that Reverend Wells has a uh, a Facebook show called Temple Talks at 7 p.m. Central Time. You just put at Rev Derek Wells or at Derek Wells and it should pop right up for you. And we also have a consciousness building call on Thursdays at 6 p.m. where we just come together and the prayer ministry uh, works with a prayer, a simple prayer to make sure that weekly you're connecting with a CUT minister for prayer and coming together in a collective consciousness because we know where two or three are gathered, gathered together and that synergy and that collective consciousness, they're the power of the Christ within uh, manifest in a greater way. So we want to make sure that you have the opportunities to connect and touch base. I also want to uh, let you know that the Johnny Coleman Institute classes start next week. Uh, I'll be teaching um, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Um, so if you're interested in that, go to the website, cutemple.org, cl click on the classes tab, follow the directions. You can click on my class or another class on Bible or healing or women's class or, you know, the game of life and how to play it or, uh, you know, a lot of different books. We want to make sure that you have the opportunity to get what you need to do what you need to do. So with that, we're going to get back. Uh, Dr. Kimbrough. I'm right here. All right. So, um, so uh, I wanted to just pick up on why, why did you make the conscious decision to focus on making sure that our youth got it at the, got your lessons, the lessons of our successful history at the college level? Well, I, I knew over the course of my research that there was a gap. And you've heard me say this before, uh, Reverend McDowell, we now it has certainly changed, but for the longest, we we were the only group that didn't profile its wealth creators. Um, here I am uh, seated in my study, and I got my flat screen TV, and you can go back and check in any financial news work, news network, Fox, Bloomberg, whatever, CNBC, and you might find uh, Warren Buffett being interviewed. You might find Howard Schultz of Starbucks being interviewed. Old interview of Steve Jobs, whatever. But we don't do that. When's the last time, you know, at, at last count right now across the globe, there are roughly 2,355 billionaires throughout the world across the globe. Of that, what do they say, 16 are in Africa and close to 10 are here in the United States. Well, I'm not asking you to name the 16 in Africa, but at least give me the 10 in the United States. I can ask MBA students, and they couldn't tell me. 
So, the, you know, I wanted to close that gap. And it wasn't about, you know, how much money or how vast, how rich, how wealthy, how influent. All I wanted to do was uncover the principles and the tools that they used to acquire their wealth. And because I had the audacity to focus in on that one single track, I knew I was making a difference. That's good. That's good. So when you were um, uh, studying uh, the wealth of of black America, how often did you run across uh, millionaires and billionaires who work with the tool of visualization? Oh, man. Uh, by all means, uh, that, that was one of the tools that they used. Now, you go back early in the research, and there were no black billionaires. The, the one who really broke the threshold was Reg Lewis. And uh, interesting sidebar, I was just granted uh, the opportunity to interview him. He was a Francophile. He spent a lot of time in Western Europe, and I called, and I was granted the interview through his director of communications, and he said, as soon as he comes back to the States, we'll go ahead and nail it down. Well, as soon as he came back from the States, he wasn't feeling well. They ran a battery of tests, and he had an inoperable brain tumor. And so that was off the boards. But after he transitioned, his wife uh, not only uh, sent me a copy of his book with a lovely letter in there, a lovely letter, she said, and she flew down from New York to Atlanta and came up on campus and handed me a copy of the book and said, my husband wanted you to have this. But the process of visualization is a tool that stands front and center, uh, no matter who I interviewed. I mean, they practice the idea of seeing it in their mind's eye first. Seeing it, and it's not so much visualization, Reverend Mac. Mm-hmm. It is the feeling that comes with the visualization. I mean, you can visualize all you want. I mean, you can go ahead and pull your journal out and you can have, you know, pictures and, and different drawings and the like. But it is the feeling that comes with that. I mean, you've got to feel yourself in this image. You've got to feel yourself standing before, you know, whoever. You've got to feel yourself. What is it going to feel like when that check is placed in your hand? What is it going to feel like when you write a check for your children's education and say, here, don't send the bill to my house any longer. The balance is paid in full. It is the feeling that comes with that visualization that makes all the difference in the world. Beautiful, beautiful. We have a caller, Dr. Kimbrough. So let me bring the caller on. All right. Stanley, are you there? Stan, are you there? Uh, Yes, I am. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Well. All right, excellent. Um, it's, it's one thing, uh, Dr. Kimbrough, that you mentioned a little bit earlier. I wanted to uh, see if you can elaborate on just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of combines two points that, that you've made today. And it relates to the youth and also the number of blacks who were actually millionaires. So earlier you said that 14 out of, if I'm getting this right, 14 out of 1,000 uh, blacks own their own, uh, black millionaires own their own um, business, or 14 out of 1,000 blacks own their own yep. businesses. Yep, so, 1991, and, SBA, Census Bureau mm-hmm. data. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I guess I'm wondering, um, is it, do, 
or does that increase the probability that you might become a millionaire if you own your own business or put another way um can you be a black millionaire without owning your own business let's say you work somewhere and oh and sure you, just... you can it's called mm-hmm. the stock market it's called vanguard okay. mutual funds <laughs> okay okay all right good good, oh, good, yeah. enough. good enough. you got and you got what between five and ten percent who actually do that it's mm. not it's not what you earn it's what you keep what did W. Clement Stone tell me when I had the nerve to ask him for some money to finish this? He says, no, you finish the book, and you're going to create your own fortune. So he could see from a distance what I couldn't see up close. This guy coached me every single way. So a couple of years later, I fly back to Chicago, and there I am, and Stone tells me, Mr. Stone tells me, he says, young man, I don't know if you realize or not, when this book is published, you're going to be in demand as a speaker. And I didn't, I didn't blow him off. I'm saying to myself, yeah, sure, you bet, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, you know, don't open your mouth unless for X amount of dollars. And I just, but, but the other thing that he said to me, the other lesson that he said to me, he said, you're going to start to come into some money, and if you can't save, 15% of every dime that comes by your hand, the seeds of greatness aren't in you. Now, we've been taught, say, 5%, save 10%, tithe, blah, blah, blah. He said, no, 15%. I mean, you do that today, and when you look at the stock market, I mean, for the past quarter of a century, I mean, there is no financial institution, cryptocurrency included, that you could save that fast as the stock market for the last quarter of a century. I mean, 10 to 14%. But go ahead. I know that wasn't your question, but yeah. I mean, there are, there are a number of tools right now that people use. But the bottom line is, if you want wealth creation, this is what I'm trying to say, not only in Think and Grow Rich, but what makes the great, great chapter six of what makes a great, great, which is... Uh, okay. Which is... Um, you know, um, the greatest secret, you're already rich, and, of course, the wealth choice. What I'm trying to say is, you know, probably the only reason why you are where you are right now financially is because you don't love enough. Now, people get me, what do you mean, Dr. Kimber, you don't love enough? I mean, the fact of the, fact of the, matter, yeah, fact of the matter is that <clears throat> whatever it is, what's the one thing that you love? What's the one thing you can pour your whole heart and soul into? What's the one thing you could do for free? I mean, why is Tiger Woods Tiger Woods? Because he loved golf enough to hit a thousand golf balls a day. Why is Michael Jordan Michael Jordan? Because he loved basketball, loved it enough to shoot minimum three hundred jump shots a day. Why is Beyonce Beyonce? Because she loved singing and dancing enough eight to ten hours a day, no exception practice. So, you know, you don't love enough. Well, there's got to be something that you love. We are all born with our gifts. We are all born with our gifts. And a gift will not become a talent until you use it, until you practice it. And so many people just piss on their gifts, man. Just go ahead on. Now. And that's, and that's the parable of the talents. Had a gift, didn't use it, and never became a talent. Um, okay, so that that's pretty amazing stuff. Um, one one last question. You did answer my 
question, but mm-hmm. um, you made me think of something else. You mentioned cryptocurrency in terms of investing. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know cryptocurrency is pretty uh, something that's pretty new, experimental in my view. Um, can you just give us a quick, your quick thoughts about, you know, how you feel or what you think about cryptocurrency as an investment? I'm going to hang up and, uh, and listen. Okay, well, you. you look at cryptocurrency right now. Okay, and you look at all the different formations. You got what more than a thousand different variations. You look at Dogecoin. Right now, it is just uh, okay. They place it on the same level with Ford Motor Company, with Kraft Foods, with one other billion-dollar business. Now, that's the level they said that that's the net value. Of, of this particular variation. But the opposite side, what Warren Buffett is trying to tell people, doesn't have a single employee, okay, doesn't have a product, doesn't have a service, doesn't have a sales force, doesn't have any of that. And so what Warren Buffett is saying, okay, these, this is Internet money. Until you can go ahead and check all these boxes, I will just stand at the sidelines and, and, and just watch it grow before I make a move. So to me, yeah, and I know this, folks, I got students who I coach with that. I got students who made money and who lost money. I got students who, Dr. Kimber, I'm not going into corporate America. What are you doing? Uh, I'm looking at the foreign exchange. I said, good for you. So I'm just going to be a casual, more than a casual observer. Until I see the big boys get in, I'm not busting the move. To me, that's Internet money. So you do what you want to do. You earn the money. You work for the money. It's your money. Do whatever you want to do. And that's the beauty of capitalism. And I'm not talking this bastardized version of capitalism that we have in the United States. No, I'm discussing, I'm I'm talking about the capitalism that was espoused by Adam Smith in The Wealth of Nations. Because if you read that 1,000-page treaty, and what, first of all, who was Adam Smith? Number one, he was a moral philosopher. Did you hear that, Reverend Mack? He was a yes. moral philosopher. Number two, yeah. he was anti-slavery. He was damn near an abolitionist. Mm. Yeah. And then he was an economist. And he says within his book, The Wealth of Nations, the level of the capitalism that he expresses is based upon the following. Number one, I allow you to pursue your divine self-interest, and you allow me to, produce, to pursue my divine self-interest, and the greater good will benefit. And he even says, I-H, he has the, the letters I-H in parentheses. What is, what is I-H? Invisible hand. And what is invisible hand, G-Mac? It is God. is your creator. <laughs> yes. And then he says, and this is the caveat, that we don't talk about, but you got to talk about it because Adam Smith wrote it. He says, if one party blocks the other, all bets are off. If you allow me to pursue my divine self-interest and I block you from pursuing yours, all bets are off. And for 400 years, damn it, we've been blocked. We've been blocked for 400 years. And they're trying to block you from voting. I tell my students all the time, when we think of 1619 Project, we think of some long, 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 far away, long, 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 long time. I said, you're wrong. 
I said, you look at your professor. I'm 71-year-old student, and my father's only two generations. I mean, you push my, my children aside. There's only two generations that I saw could vote. My generation and my father's generation when I was growing up. Why? Because my grandparents died before the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Yeah. They died before that. And what did they do for a living? My grandfather was a butler. And my grandmother was a maid, and they worked for a wealthy white family in North Carolina. How would you like to live your life? My grandfather lived, what, mid-80s, rolled his own cigarettes, and never got an opportunity to vote. And was taxed. And this country was founded upon no taxation without representation. Right. Well, if you did it over here on this side of the fence, well, damn it, why won't you do it over here? That's Adam Smith. So what you have right now with this redlining, what you have with these subprime loans, what you have, what they're doing with these kids in college, with this high-ass interest rate, these kids forget the principal. They can't even pay the interest. Right. I didn't know the federal government was such an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah. I I literally just had that conversation with my daughter. She graduated um, from Illinois State just in December. And it's just, Congratulations. I was just having I a conversation about normal like, normal. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just saying, I was just having that conversation with her. I, we do have a caller and we have about nine minutes left. So I need to let this caller uh, come in. Let me uh, see here. Uh, is this stand, uh, another, a different stand? Yeah, no, this, yeah, yeah it's a different stand. Yes, sir. <laughs> How you doing there? Um, uh, stand, hey, uh, do you have a question hey, for hey, Dr. Kimbrough? Hey, Reverend G. Mac. And Dr. Hey Kimbrough, I have all of your books I've been reading them for decades, years. Wow, wow. Yeah, I know. I, the other day, and I picked up one and said, yeah, this is just what I need. Uh, a question for you is, and, I, and you've already answered it, about loving what you do and coming in alignment yeah. for gift. But I wanted to ask you, what, what kind of principle or procedures or how, how do you – how do you orchestrate that optimal state of mind to be as creative? What was a typical day like for you when you were creating this great work? And it well, is I don't, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't jump in the world until I get some P and D on board, prayer and devotion. I do the same thing. Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, when they started the day, as soon as they woke up, they got centered. In other words, they remembered the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is different for, you know, for, for, for different people. For Christians, for me, it's a Sunday. For Jews, it's Saturday. For Muslims, it's Friday. If we travel the globe, I imagine that you could find some group that would say their Sabbath is Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, what is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath is every day. Someone says, remember the Sabbath. What is he telling you? Take time out. Take time every day to recalibrate, to recenter, to refocus to retool, to re-engineer, to realign. David, my rod and thy staff, they come from me. He was always in alignment because there's so much nonsense out there. So I got painters here in the house, and I'm about to move my computer. I move my computer. My computer gets a, uh, a virus. I got to take it back and take it to the geek squad. And what will they do? They say, well, I hope you back up your files because we are going to restore your computer to its original default. 
So what happens when we get a mental virus? And what is a mental virus? I can't do this. I can't do that. What is a mental virus? Oh, I don't have the resources. I don't have the capabilities. What is a mental virus? Oh, man, I'm just looking for help. Well, you've got to help. All you've got to do is raise your eyes. Well, we've got to be restored to our original default. And what is our original default? It's love. It's love. There is a power that loves you, that knows that hair on your head, that loves you. Love, in, in terms of wealth, love is the bottom line. That's all I've been trying to say. Love, not money. Love is the bottom line. You're an entrepreneur and you love your customers, you're getting more customers. You're a corporate climber and you love your coworkers, you're going to make manager, you're going to make senior level VP in no time. So focus in. I mean, that, that, that I, I, I can't say it anymore. People say to me, man, my students say to me, man, you're the only person I know that writes books on money. Your books ain't got nothing to do with money. I said, I know you're right. My books are not about cash. My books are about courage. It takes courage to chase your dream. It takes courage to find a new set of friends because the folks you hang around with disempower you. It takes courage to believe in yourself when no one else will. No, they're not hardly about cash. So read it and then take action on what you read. Because these are your best and your brightest. And I don't know any place else where it's done. I can go to Amazon right now. I can go to any Barnes & Noble, blah, 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 and go over to the black book section. How many business books do you see over there? We don't even discuss it. And we don't even look at our leaders. I mean, in 1897, your most prolific scholar, W.B. Du Bois, wrote the both, both the boys and Booker T. Washington wrote books 10 years apart and used the exact same title, The Negro in Business. The boys' book in 1897, The Negro in Business, 10 years later, Booker T. Washington, and I got a copy of it. I'm looking at the book right now, 1907, The Negro in Business. Yes. And then there's a gap. And then there's a gap. I'm not knocking anybody. You write whatever you want to write on. But this is a crucial area, man. What did they talk about? If King would have lived one year longer, man, he would have focused on economic rights. And we're still doing that. We're still doing that. And I tell you right there in the Wealth Choice, I mean, you read Du Bois' book, The Negro in Business, and you read the first 30 pages, and what does he tell you, GMAC? Two profound statements. Number one, the man or woman who won't control his or her finances won't control anything else. You don't care about the money in your pocket. You don't care about your community because you won't care about nothing. And then number two, nothing positive will ever occur in a community that fails to circulate its dollars. Now, he wrote that in 1897. Why are we still dealing with that today? Mm -hmm. And you solved that problem in 1921. Don't you know that the average dollar in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Greenwood, Archer, and Pine, those 3,600 square blocks. In 1921, the average dollar circulated in that community six months to a year before it left. Yeah. You did it one time, you can do it again. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. But it's yes. not going to happen until you discuss it. Yes, yes. And what does uh, Jesus always say? Jesus always taught taught, taught. And what did he say? Don't deny your problems. Transcend them. 
In other words, you don't take, you know, <laughs> you don't take darkness to light. You take light to darkness. You don't take poverty to wealth. You take wealth to poverty. You're already wealthy. Why do you do no? Everybody talking about why well, I got to change. No, the last thing you need to do is change. You don't need change. Mm. Yeah. This is the conversation that, that we need to have on CNN. Um, yep. Uh, and, you know, and I think thank it's you. the conversation that we need to demand. Uh, I'm going to say thanks, yeah. Stan, for the call because we only have a minute and a half left, and so I'm going to have to let you go. Do, I, got, I got painters here that uh... <laughs> Yeah, so he has, to, he has to do what he needs to do. So we have to wrap up this call. We have uh, Marcellus, I know you have been waiting, but we didn't have time to get you. I appreciate the call in. Um, you know, I had to one day have, you know, very soon get Dr. Kimbrough back so we can make sure we deal with these calls because he has a couple of people that are waiting and we've just run out of time. So, um, you know, Dr. Kimbrough, I think that this is part of a larger conversation. And, yeah. um, you know, you, you know, Christ Universal Temple has always been a friend for that conversation. And we want to yeah. be a friend for that conversation yeah. uh, because, you know, black wealth and the building of black success and wealth uh, makes a difference. And, you know, um, our founder, uh, your friend, the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman, was mm-hmm. uh, adamant about making sure that people understood that God was the source of their supply. So thank you oh, yeah. so much for everything okay. that you do. I am honored do. my brother call anytime. Yes, yes. So I'm going to wrap up and let you get back to I'm going to close the show out. I'm going to let you get back to taking care of what you need to take care of your home for these last 30 <laughs> seconds. Will do. So God bless you. And, uh, and I'll God be in bless touch you with too, Russell. my man. All, All right. right, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. So, so callers, yet again, you know, for those who who uh, didn't get an opportunity to ask your questions, we'll make sure we get him back so you can ask the questions that you need to ask. Uh, I do want to um, let you know that next week I'm bringing uh, the Reverend Lola right back. We're going to have another conversation about transformation because we were rolling downhill. So. As long as people are willing to come in and have these conversations, I want to have it. We'll be with you next week with True Transforms. God bless. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.